To the Matcast. This is for creative Christians everywhere. We are glad to have you aboard as actually we begin a new series here on the podcast today. I would invite you to please subscribe or follow Matcast wherever you see it uh, on the platform of your choice and give us a five star review. It really actually does make a difference for us. Well, we're starting a new series, as I just mentioned. Um, a new series that I'm calling Movies That Moved Me. Now, in our most previous episode, I was making an appeal to filmmakers, uh, both within the church and outside of it. But I want to get more specific because I mentioned in that episode that I've I've had some very spiritual and emotional moments in theaters. And it, it was more than just crying when a beloved character passed away. There were other things involved. Uh, films that really had a, uh, an effect on my life in some way. And honestly, the hope that filmmakers will strive to make movies like this uh, again. Uh, let me just issue a couple of disclaimers. Uh, first of all, I want to give a tip of the cap to the uh, Movie Clips channel on YouTube for providing the audio for this episode, at least of the film. Um, I should also let you know that there will inevitably be spoilers along the way, uh, so be warned. But I figured <laughs> each of these films is decades old, so if you haven't seen it by now, it probably won't matter so much. I also want to say this, that just don't assume that because I'm profiling a film that it's necessarily one to play for your family. Um, you know, I don't have kids, so I don't have the same... Uh, responsibilities that that you do. So uh, the film I'm going to talk about today is rated PG, so there's uh, limited profanity. Um, so it's probably, well, there's probably one or two others that will be along that vein. So I uh, just want to let you know that. Um, now with the unofficial holiday uh, occurring on Wednesday of this week, and by that I mean Groundhog Day, I figured it would be only appropriate to start our series here. And uh, the film stars Bill Murray uh, and Andy McDowell. Uh, Murray plays Phil Connors, who is an egotistical weatherman from Pittsburgh, who is forced once again to cover the Groundhog Day festivities in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Uh, this is not something he enjoys. He sees himself as better than pretty much everyone. Uh, he does very little to hide his displeasure for doing so um, and often takes it out on his co-workers, which includes, uh, of course, Andy McDowell's character, Rita, who's a brand new producer, and his cameraman, Larry, uh, who both have a kind of a natural disdain for, for one another. After spending the rest of February 1st driving to Punxsutawney and then all of February 2nd, Groundhog Day, basically insulting his co-workers and looking down on the locals. Connors then wakes up at 6 o'clock a.m. to what he thinks is February 3rd and starts literally reliving the previous day. But the big question on everybody's lips... Yeah, chap, chap lips. lips. Chap lips. 
refill. That's right, woodchuck chuckers. It's Groundhog Day! Get up and check that hog out there! Yeah! Ooh-wee, ooh-wee. Come here, Groundhog! Morning! Uh, see the Groundhog? I think it'll be an early spring. Didn't we do this yesterday? I don't know what you mean. No. Ah! Don't mess with me, pork chop. <sighs> what day is this? It's February 2nd. Groundhog Day. Yeah. Sorry. You know, I thought it was yesterday. <laughs> oh. Excuse me, where's everybody going? To Gobbler's Knob. It's Groundhog Day. It's still just once a year, isn't it? Well, obviously, Phil is completely baffled by what he's experiencing. I mean, you would, you would initially think you have some sort of mental disorder, which he actually goes to. And after going to a, a psychiatrist, he tells him to come back tomorrow. Uh, well, that's not going to help him. So after being initially panicked he becomes dismayed, but then he gets to the point where he decides he's going to use this to find out all he can about the people of the town, their likes, their dislikes, their history, their story, but he's doing it to get things from them. Uh, he's looking to have uh, a romantic liaison or other advantages that he can use. But the biggest prize of all for him is Rita, his producer. He is quite captivated by her. And he believes day by day, day by day, he can have dinner with her, learn things about her, what she likes, her history, so that he can agree with everything she likes, and eventually entice her and add her to his list of conquests. But of course, his own attitude and arrogance, his selfishness, always ends up getting in the way. There is something so familiar about this. Hmm? Do you ever have deja vu? Didn't you just ask me that? <laughs> I think people place too much emphasis on their careers. I wish we could all live in the mountains at high altitude. That's where I see myself in five years. Uh -huh. How about you? Oh, I agree. I just like to go with the flow, see where it leads me. What's well, led you here? Mm-hmm. Of course, it's about a million miles from where I started out in college. You weren't uh, in broadcasting or journalism? Mm-mm. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. <laughs> what a waste of time. I mean, for someone else, that would be an incredible waste of time. You're so bold of you to choose that. It's incredible. You must be a very, very strong person. So once Phil realizes he now has no chance of accomplishing his selfish mission, he becomes depressed. And he decides he's going to take his own life because now there's nothing left to live for. And he does it day after day after day and finds who knows how many ways to end his life. But he still wakes up every day at 6 o'clock a.m. to the sound of I've Got You, Babe by Sonny and Cher. And he has to do it all over again. You know, one of the great surprises about the film 
was the amount of reflection many of its viewers had. People ended up connecting to Groundhog Day in very profound ways, uh, asking questions like, are you stuck living the same day over and over again? And people of almost all religious stripes, by the way, found usable material from the film to ask big spiritual questions. It practically became a cultural touchpoint that no one had really expected. They just thought they were making a funny comedy. It, it kind of got everybody wondering, am I stuck in a reality I never really chose? Now, what is never said in Groundhog Day, but has to be inferred, is that there is some external force putting Phil Connors through this curse, this punishment, whatever you want to call it. Phil is experiencing all of this pain with no idea what to do with it. You know, the great C.S. Lewis wrote this, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And you know, the Holy Spirit, he's drawing us in various ways. Mostly, though, he waits until we completely mess things up and he tries to rouse us through the pain that we've created on ourselves in order to send us in a direction of salvation and healing. Now, unfortunately, this does not happen to Phil. After all this, after all the frustration of not even being able to end his life, rather than seeking God, he, let's just say he makes the only egotistical conclusion that he can. I'm sorry, what was that again? I'm a God. You're God. I'm a God, I'm not the God, I don't think. Because you survived a car wreck? You folks ready to order? I didn't just survive a wreck. I wasn't just blown up yesterday. I have been stabbed, shot, poisoned, frozen, hung, electrocuted, and burned. Oh, really? And every morning I wake up without a scratch on me, not a dent in the fender, I am an immortal. Special today is blueberry waffles. Why are you telling me this? Because I want you to believe in me. You're not a god. You can take my word for it. This is 12 years of Catholic school talking. I could come back if you're not ready. How do you know I'm not a god? <laughs> oh, please. How do you know? Because it's not possible. Doris. This is Doris. Her brother-in-law, Carl, owns this diner. She's worked here since she was 17. More than anything else in her life, she wants to see Paris before she dies. Oh, boy, what a... What are you doing? This is Debbie Kleiser and her fiancé, Fred. Do I know you? They're supposed to be getting married this afternoon, but Debbie is having second thoughts. What? Lovely ring. This is Gus. He hates his life here. He wishes he stayed in the Navy. Well, I could have retired on half pay after 20 years. Excuse me? Is this some kind of trick? Well, maybe the real God uses tricks. You know, maybe he's not omnipotent. He's just been around so long. He knows everything. Oh, okay. Well, who's that? This is Tom. He worked in the coal mine until they closed it down. And her? It's Alice. Came over here from Ireland when she was a baby. She lived in Erie most of her life. He's right. How do you know these people? I told you, I know everything. In about five seconds, a waiter's going to drop a tray of dishes. Five, four, That's three, nuts. two, one. <laughs> okay? Okay, that's enough. Spiritually, this is the ultimate battle for our salvation. 
you know, from the Garden of Eden to Punxsutawney, we all want to be God of our lives. But as Pastor Matt Chandler says, you make a terrible God. Oh, Phil, he's a tough learner. But you know what? So are we. Even we believers can get caught up in being in control of every aspect of our lives. That doesn't work so well when we've acknowledged a Savior. And those of us who try to exert control over God can find ourselves inviting a lot of unnecessary pain on ourselves. Do you feel stuck? Talk to the Lord and be truthful about how much you're really submitted to Him. That's a word we don't like. Have you released control over what you can't change? Your family? Your finances? Maybe even your career? Maybe we as Christians have slipped into old habits and tried to live life without Him. Talk to the God who wants you unstuck. Give up control of your world to the one who is greater within you and also greater than he that is in the world. My friend Jordan Beal has an exciting new book I want to tell you all about. It's called The Process of a Leader. Now, there are many pastors and Christian leaders who have become discouraged and quit over the last few years. In fact, according to the Barna Research Group, 38% of pastors wanted to quit the ministry last year. Leading is hard, and the pandemic made it harder. Well, The Process of a Leader was written to help leaders stay the course and glorify the Lord through their leadership. In the book, Jordan uses biblical examples of leadership like Gideon and Joseph and, of course, most notably, Jesus. Through them, we discover that our true joy as leaders is not in crowds or successful campaigns. It's, it's not in likes or clicks or shares, but Rather, true joy comes in obedience to the Father, to knowing that we're loved as leaders, knowing we are His children. And the understanding of our adoption will help leaders endure tough seasons. Then our joy is full, like Jesus promised in John 15. We're full of gratitude and we're passionate to use the gifts that God gave us to bring others into what we have experienced, into His family. So if our goal as leaders is to bring others into, quote, my church or my organization or even look important or reach a certain leadership status or some misperception of success, we've made a grave error. And that error can lead us right out of joy and God's will and really almost certainly into harm. The process of a leader is about returning to the why of Christian leadership. It's about first leading the person in the mirror. For individual copies, you can buy them at Amazon and Walmart. 
If you would like to buy in larger quantities for maybe for your team or your small group or friends, visit theprocessofaleader.com. Theprocessofaleader.com for great deals. Make an important investment in yourself and those you lead. Buy the process of a leader today. So let's get back to Groundhog Day as we wrap up the first of this series. Uh, When we last left Phil Connors, we see that the futility of living the same day over and over again left him without any hope, but he couldn't even stay dead when he killed himself. So now what's he to do? So he makes a decision. And to quote a line we will hear later in this series, he kind of figures you got to get busy living or get busy dying. Well, get busy dying hasn't worked for him. So he decides to get busy living. And he just starts to learn some new things, takes on new skills. Um, And apparently he's got all the time in the world to learn them in order to better his own life. And and this time, not with malicious intent. It's just something he's doing uh, for him. And in kind of purely secular terms, he starts becoming a better person. Phil! Rita, hi. Hey, Lear. Hi. How's she look? Great. Thank you. Did you know he could ice sculpt? No. Yes, but my father was a piano mover, so. If we are believers in Christ and we feel stuck, maybe the Lord wants to introduce something new to our lives that's exciting and challenging. But we've been resistant because of our love for routine and predictability. Believe me, I totally get this. When you when you reach your 50s, uh, you get to the point that you almost don't want to learn anything new. Uh, especially technologically. It seems like once you finally master whatever it is, a, a, an app or um, a new software on, on your computer, you're like, great, I got it. And then somebody says, oh, here's a new thing that's better than that thing you just learned. And you just go, I don't want to, I don't want to learn this. <laughs> but these are the moments that determine, I think, our, our next two, three decades. I think the Lord is much more interesting than we give him credit for. I also believe we never retire from the kingdom of God. There are always new missions, new challenges, new adventures, if we are open to them. I think our American lifestyle often has us believing that life is better when it's permanently in a hammock. 
That's a myth. Because until the Lord calls us home, he wants to introduce new things to us, new skills to acquire, new people with whom we can share the gospel or disciple them. But those skills aren't only for our personal enjoyment. They are for the glorification of God. So if you feel stuck, maybe it's time to ask the Lord to reveal a new challenge or even a new skill to acquire for his purposes. So once Phil masters ice sculpting and piano and even learning French, he goes over that day in detail all through the city. And he starts realizing certain situations that people in Punxsutawney are going through. And he decides to do something about it as part of his daily routine, whether it's a boy falling from a tree or three women who have acquired a flat tire. When Chekhov saw the long winter, he saw a winter bleak and dark and bereft of hope. Yet we know that winter is just another step in the cycle of life. But standing here among the people of Punxsutawney, and basking in the warmth of their hearths and hearts. I couldn't imagine a better fate than a long and lustrous winter. From Punxsutawney, it's Phil Connors. So long. Nice speech, Phil. Thank you. Thanks. How was that for you two? Hey, man. You touched me. Thanks, Larry. Thank you. I gotta go. Phil, that was... Surprising. I didn't know you were so versatile. I surprise myself sometimes. Well, where are you going? Would you like to get a cup of coffee? I'd love to. Can I have a rain check? I've got some errands I've got to run. Okay? Phil! Errands? What errands? I thought we were going back. And the jack. Just be comfortable, all right? Give me a minute. I won't tell you how, but Phil eventually makes it to February 3rd, and he's a changed man. No longer focused on feeding his ego, no longer just after selfish pursuits. His his life now has a completely different trajectory, and he has full force made it into the world of others. Now, spiritually, here's what I love about this. Whatever in the movie, whatever entity or deity was involved in changing the timeline for Phil, one thing is clear. Whoever is doing this ultimately loves him. He is trying to make him a better person than he is. Okay, so for our purposes, let's just say it is God. Isn't it amazing that he would love someone so much that he would literally interrupt the flow of time to teach him what he needed to know? 
You know, the book of Romans tells us that even while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. He intervened in our lives when we didn't want intervention. He didn't wait for us to get it together. He knew that we wouldn't. Uh, Even while we were thumbing our nose at God, he stepped into the human narrative and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He died the perfect sacrificial death that we wouldn't. That's a lot of love. And it was more than just becoming a, quote, better person, whatever that is. He, he did it to rescue us from hell if we would only believe. Time and space are really nothing to him if it means having a relationship with you forever. That's really a lot of love when you think about it. So if you feel like you're living the same day over and over again, I challenge you to begin the day remembering how loved and how saved you are. And from there, let the adventure unfold. Well, we appreciate you being a part of the Matcast. We'd invite you to share this with a friend as we love to expand our Matcast family. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at matcastworld at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information or to hear our archives of the podcast, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time. Thank you.